This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Famous Sieges by Tudor Jenks. Siege of Paris in 885. During the Dark Ages, though there was much fighting and many sieges which were more or less interesting, it was not a time of letters and very few good descriptions of these sieges have been preserved. The few about which we know something have been described mainly in long poems written more for the purpose of glorifying feats of arms than the telling of the plain facts of methods of warfare. Charles Oman, who has written a most interesting history of the art of war, says that we have a better account of a certain siege of Paris by the Danes than of any other during this whole period, that is, down to the time of the Crusades. This description comes in a long Latin poem written by the French poet named Abu, surnamed the Crooked. He was a monk of Saint Germain de Pre, though his Latin was not good. He tells the story well and in full detail, and from the poem, Oman has given us the full story of this siege. The Paris of that day consisted mainly of the island that is now the center of the city. It was surrounded by walls, connected with the two shores of the river by bridges protected on those shores by towers. These bridges were of wood, supported by piles of stone. The towers were of stone, but the one on the north side of the river was a little more than a third finished at the time when the great army of Danish soldiers arrived at the city and begged for permission for their vessels to proceed under the bridges in order that they might invade France. Though the Danes promised not to do harm to Paris itself, Odo the Count and Goslin, the Bishop of Paris, bravely refused on the ground that the Emperor had intended Paris to protect the rest of France against invasion. Siegfried, the commander of the Danes, then threatened to take the city by force or by famine. Landing from their boats, the Danes rushed upon the half-built tower, but after a vigorous fight were driven back with loss. It had been so close a struggle, however, that the French spent the whole night in carrying from the city timbers and logs to increase the height of the unfinished tower and in the morning the Danes found the tower twice as high as it had been the night before. It was now too strong to be taken by assault, so the Danes wove branches together to make mantelets or shields, and carrying these over their heads, a strong column of men marched to the foot of the tower and then began to tear away the foundations, using heavy logs, the ends of which were shod with iron points. But, expecting such an attack, the French had brought great cauldrons of oil and pitch, and setting fire to these, they poured them down upon the mantelets. This set fire to the shields, and the men beneath them were sorely burned, so that flinging their protection away, they rushed away and jumped into the river. The Danes' next attempt was to dig underground a mine leading to the bridge tower. This was propped up, as usual, with timbers, then filled with combustibles, which, being set on fire, burned away the timbers and allowed the ground to fall in beneath, carrying away a part of the bridge tower. Again, the Danes were driven back by timbers and stones dropped from the top of the tower upon the attacking column. Once more, the besiegers came forward, placed a great pile of wood against the door of the tower, hoping to burn it down. But when their big fire was lighted, the wind blew it away from the door and drove the besiegers back. From the tower and the walls of the city during these attacks was poured so fierce a volley of bolts and darts, of stones and arrows, upon the attacking columns, that the Danes could not remain within range, but retreated to their boats after a loss of 300 men. Any attempt to take the city by direct attack seemed hopeless. So the Danes built themselves a fortified camp, protected by a ditch and stakes, and settled down for a regular siege. Their engineers built three great battering rams, each covered by a strong timbered shed supported on sixteen great wheels. These sheds were big enough to hold sixty men, but the attacks of the Danes being delivered all at one point, the French were able to pour such a volley of missiles upon them that they were not able to bring the rams into action, probably because of the heavy stones thrown by catapults from the walls 
and because they could not fill up the ditch that defended the walls without exposing their men to the French artillery. To protect themselves, they now made other mantlets, each covered with rawhides, of which they had plenty since they had collected from the whole neighborhood great herds of cattle as well as a vast store of corn. While the men beneath these shields were filling up the ditch, throwing in, says Oman, clods of earth, boughs, straw, rubbish of all sorts, even their cattle and their French prisoners, an attack from the river was made at the same time, the boats being run against the sides of the bridge. All this was done under a constant fire of missiles from the city, but in spite of it, the Danes at last were able to bring up the three rams close to the bridgehead and again to destroy the tower. The French had prepared great forked beams with which they caught the heads of the rams, and they had also built great stone-throwing machines that hurled rocks of such size that they struck down the mantelets and killed the men underneath. After three days, the Danes were driven back, having lost heavily in men and leaving two of their rams disabled. The fight at the bridge, meanwhile, had been fierce, and at one time the Danes nearly succeeded in burning it down by means of three fire vessels towed against it. But the piles of stones on which the bridge was supported kept the vessels from getting near enough to set it in flames, and the accurate marksmanship of the French engineers soon sunk the vessels by hurling rocks upon them. So far the besiegers had failed at every point, but a few days later heavy rains had so swollen the rivers that the flood carried away part of the northern bridge, leaving twelve unfortunate French soldiers cut off in the tower. When the Danes discovered how weakly the tower was defended, they pushed a wagon full of straw against the gate. The defenders of the tower were too few to drive the Danes away, and the smoke from the burning cart prevented much damage from the engines upon the walls of the city. The defenders of the tower were too few to drive the Danes away, and the smoke from the burning cart prevented much damage from the engines upon the cities of the wall. The upper part of the tower was soon in flames, and the French were forced to take to the broken bridge. It is said that the Danes professed admiration for these brave men, promising to spare them if they should surrender, but as soon as the twelve men were disarmed, they were slaughtered and flung into the river. The Danes now sent some of their vessels through the broken bridge, probably to get provisions, and there came a lull in the siege. During this time, the French sent out a party to seize and burn the deserted camp, but found it still guarded by a heavy force and were compelled to retreat. But in return for the good fortune of the besiegers, there now came help for the besieged. The Duke of Saxony appeared with reinforcements. The Danes retired into their camp, and their relieving force were able to put stores into the city, and probably to strengthen the garrison. Then the tower on the bridge was taken and rebuilt, while the Danes still remained in their camp. The Duke of Saxony made an attack upon the Danes' fortified camp, but was driven off and marched away from the city, possibly because there were not provisions enough for the citizens and for his men had they remained. Some of the Danes now crossed the river to the southern side, and after a dispute among their leaders, it was resolved to make one last attempt to take the city. Bringing up their boats, they landed men at the foot of the city walls and also sent forces against the two bridge towers, but all of these attacks were driven off and one of their leaders, Siegfried, consented to give up the siege after receiving sixty pounds of silver. Another leader, however, continued it, hoping for success because a pestilence had broken out in the city and one of the chief defenders, the bishop, was dead. No very vigorous attempt to take the city was made except one attack in which the Danes reached the city walls on the island, climbed at one point over the wall by means of ladders, but were driven back by the defenders before a stronger force could come to their aid. 
After this attack, a second relieving army appeared, fought its way into the city, and reported that an army of French was coming to the rescue. But before Charles the Fat had brought up this force, the Danes made a grand attack, concentrating tremendous fire upon the walls of the city from their engines, and at the same moment attempting to climb upon the bridges and the island wall by the use of scaling ladders, as well as to burn the wooden tower at the head of the northern bridge, which was now protected by a sort of fort of heavy timbers. They almost succeeded in burning this fortification, but the attack failed here and everywhere else. Not long after this failure, Charles the Fat came up with a large army and bribed the Danes to pass by and to march into Burgundy, where they made another unsuccessful attempt at besieging the city of Sens. The effect of these successive attempts to hold the cities against the Northmen was gradually to encourage the French against their attacks thereafter. Oman calls attention to the fact that these so-called barbarians used in the siege all the engines of war that had been known to the Romans, which it is believed they had learned from their enemies. But against this display of knowledge is to be set the stupidity with which they failed to surround the city and to prevent its being relieved. If the Danes had been able or willing to build a strong set of siege works around the city so as to cut it off from receiving provisions or reinforcements, they would no doubt have captured the town. Although in passing from this old siege by the Danes to the siege of Antioch by the Crusaders, we go over more than two centuries, we shall not note any great advance in the art of the besieger. The Crusaders were not in any sense learned in this history of the past. Their warfare had little of science, and though they made use of some of the better-known siege apparatus, yet we find in their books upon sieges little that is new. Usually their conquests were by force of numbers and brute strength. Often their plans were defeated by the jealousies of one another, but the taking of Antioch gives at least a good idea of how the Crusaders fought, both before the city walls and in the open fields. End of section 15